All right, welcome to our event today. This is part of the Graphic Novel Symposium. It's our fourth Graphic Novel Symposium. Super excited to have you all here. Um, before we get started, want to thank Espresso Love. It's the coffee shop in our library. Buy the, a coffee later, some snacks. They've been fantastic in sponsoring us and supporting um, the things that are happening here today. Um, also, we've got amazing comic stores and artists outside. So if comics are your thing, stop by and buy some things. Um, today we're going to be talking about things we love, finding community and fandom. Um, we often use the word fan as a way to indicate like that we like something, right? Like, I'm a fan of the National, I'm a fan of the Bears, I'm a fan of Game of Thrones. And it's a pretty casual, it means we like stuff. But for many of us, that liking turns into maybe semi-obsession. Um, and gets real intense, and we start spending time researching it or talking about it with our friends, finding groups online and in person that we can, you know, immerse ourselves in this world that is fictional or um, talks about sports. Um, and the part of the enjoyment of that thing becomes the community that we're a part of. So today we're going to get to the value we find in talking to other people who like the stuff we like. Um, how we got into those communities and why those communities are important. So to start off, my name's Tish. I'm one of the librarians here. I'll be moderating this awesome panel of faculty. Um, and they are going to introduce themselves and tell you why they're on the panel. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Carrie Millsap Spears. And I'm on the panel because I'm a fan of lots of stuff. But I am representing Star Trek today. Um, <laughs> I do have many fandoms. Um, my literature classes here, they realize that I have fan of literature, um, but I also love science fiction, and so that's why I'm here today. Hi, everyone. My name is Cheryl Bundy. Uh, I'm a composition faculty member here and literature as well. And I am also a fan of many things uh, over the course of my life, uh, everything from Lord of the Rings to Battlestar Galactica to uh, Glee more recently and Sherlock. Hi, I'm Ricky Cobb, uh, sociology faculty. I'm actually a fan of nothing, so I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, huge sports fan. Uh, I actually started a Twitter account called Super 70 Sports that uh, has uh, over 120,000 followers now, which is something that was totally unexpected to me. And so I've sort of accidentally stumbled into creating uh, something of a community of retro uh, sports fans. So that's why I'm here. Um, fantastic. So to get us started, can you all talk about kind of first of all your first encounter with the, the thing that you are a fan of and then what took you from being a casual fan like I like this to being an immersive like intense fan that wants to spend a lot of time with this thing? Yeah, jump in as you want. <laughs> okay. Well, I started watching Star Trek when I was seven years old, and since I'm 147, um, <laughs> it's been going on for a while. Um, I watched my very first episode in the my parents' bedroom on a small black and white television, and I'm from a very small town, Indiana, where we don't have cable still. <laughs> um, and also, it was a bad reception, and it was my first experience with the idea that there was life outside of this very closed community where I was. And as soon as I saw that episode, I didn't stop. And it has been going on for the rest of my life. So to my family's very uh, embarrassed situation, but it's true. I will show you, I did bring a visual aid. So 
I'm the fan that actually took this to a convention to get Marina Sirtis um, to sign it. And she did. So, and she's pretty awesome. <laughs> Love it. Um, for myself, I feel like I've always been attracted to certain kinds of stories uh, from a very young age. Uh, I do remember my mom used to take us to the library a lot, and at some point I picked up a copy of The Hobbit, and I loved it so much that I tried to get my best friend to read it, and she hated it. Uh, she couldn't remember any of the characters' names. There were just too many characters. And, uh, and it was really sad for me, because I, I always used to consider myself uh, like a fandom of one. I couldn't find anybody who liked the stuff that I liked. Or it was more that they didn't like it the way that I liked it. Um, so I found over time that certain kinds of shows, particularly films or television series, if they had a lot of character development, if they had a kind of mythology around them, uh, and lots of backstory, and if there were a lot of characters, like it really appealed to me uh, so much that I got super immersed in uh, thinking about the stories on my own. Uh, and that was a long time ago. That was before technology aided uh, the community building that we see now. So again, I kind of was in my own little world for a long time until uh, we got a computer in our house and I found uh, news groups and I was able to find lots of people talking about my shows, uh, like the X-Files, for instance. Yeah, for those of you here who are over a certain age, you remember the world before the internet, right? It's a distant memory now, but back in those days, maybe you didn't know all the people that were out there who shared the same interest as, as you have. I, I feel like sports fandom chose me. It's sort of like your sexuality. I feel like it chooses you. You don't choose it. And so I've been a sports fan since I can remember. I can't uh, remember not being passionate about sports. And so it's been a lifelong thing for me. Certainly growing up, anything that I could watch on television, whether it was Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, college sports, frankly, um, I don't know, I guess that's the luxury of being a kid and having all the time in the world and, and you can devote your attention to these things. As you get older, sometimes you have to start picking and choosing the things that you're really passionate about. But as a kid, I felt like I knew something about just about every sport because that's how I was spending all my leisure time. Um, but the internet certainly changed the game because now you realize that we're all connected and you can find those people who are out there that are actually like you and you're turns out you're not really a freak. There are other people who get it and can communicate with you on that level, and you're not just bound to the people that you went to high school with or the people who were in your neighborhood who uh, it was probably a lot less likely. If you were lucky, maybe you did have some people that you related to, but in many cases, maybe you didn't have people. You give that book to somebody else and they don't like it. And so the Internet gives you that opportunity to forge these communities that previously would have been impossible. So for all the ills of social media and the, the complaints that we could make about it and how sometimes it's not used wisely, uh, social media changed the game, I think, for fandom. So you've all talked about um, you know, being connected to, like con finding other people who like the things that you like, which is exciting. Um, I love that quote, didn't that you were talking to people who didn't like things the way you liked it, and I feel like I've mm -hmm. experienced that so many times, mm -hmm. and it's so yeah. painful when someone doesn't like the thing that you like for the same reasons, or you have to argue about like which characters should be together on a show or not. Mm -hmm. um, so 
what does being a part of these communities do for you? How does it increase your enjoyment of the show or the sports or you know whatever fandom you're a part of? And what do you value about those communities? Well, I think um, first off, uh, there's a difference between me uh, kind of lurking on a news group, reading about my shows and seeing what other people are talking about and me actually being a creator of content. Uh, and that didn't happen for me until I was really obsessed with Glee of all shows. A completely weird show. Uh, and I used to read EW's uh, recaps of episodes and, uh, and that was what I did and I would read the comments and the comments were always really awful as you know. Uh, comments anywhere online are usually really negative and awful. And so uh, I happened to be searching and I found these two blogs that were written by uh, people who had really distinct voices, who had really uh, intellectual uh, approaches to talking about my text. Uh, and it was a blog called Deconstructing Glee, and another one was called uh, Letters for Titan. And Letters for Titan was really awesome. The writer behind it was someone who uh, wrote academically, even though she wasn't a scholar, she wasn't someone you know who worked at an institution, uh, but she wrote academically and presented on Doctor Who and um, Torchwood and uh, was really interested in lots of different shows that I wasn't necessarily interested in, but she had really cool things to say about Glee. And Glee is a weird show. Uh, maybe you've seen it in reruns. It's been gone for a couple of years now. Um, but it was a show that was frustrating to casual viewers because it didn't really follow continuity very well. Uh, it, would, it had really exaggerated characters. Uh, but at the same time, it operated almost entirely on illusion and symbolism. So any episode would feature lyrics to songs as well as references to Broadway shows and uh, references to literature. And the costume designers and set designers were really thoughtful in the kinds of things they adorned characters with and adorned uh, sets with. And so there was massive symbolism in everything. And so, so much of the story was actually communicated entirely visually and through auditory cues versus just the text of the show. Uh, and so it was fun to read these blogs. And eventually I decided to kind of follow in the footsteps of those writers and create my own. And that was kind of the way I got started with, uh, with actually immersing myself into fandom. And it was a lot of fun, um, but, but that was at least the starting point for me. I, I wasn't necessarily looking for uh, an online community uh, that was centered around retro sports. M Super 70 sports, and feel free to pull out your device and follow me if you want. I mean, <laughs> at Super 70 sports on Twitter. Super70sports.com. You got to promote yourself, right? I've got a <laughs> microphone. I'm, I have to. I, I never really went out searching to, to find a community. The, the community, however, was there waiting to, to, to be found. I, I started the account about two and a half years ago for my own edification. It was just something to amuse myself. Merging a little bit of comedy with sports, with the love that I have for the 1970s and the 1980s, because we do some of that too. And early on, it was just something that I was doing for my own pleasure. Make a joke, post a cool picture of somebody from the 1970s, and that was reward enough. And what slowly started to happen is I started to gain some followers. Slowly, at first, 
I remember the first few months I would average maybe eight, nine, ten new followers a day. And I remember when I crossed a thousand. And I remember when I crossed two thousand. And I still remember the night that I crossed three thousand. I was in the drive through at Taco Bell. And somebody, somebody with a much larger audience than myself had retweeted me, and I felt like I had gone viral. All of a sudden, it was just 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 new followers. Whoa, I'm, I'm past 3,000. And so now to be where it is where uh, I'm gaining, in, in some cases, thousands of followers in a day is, blows my mind. And what I think I really learned from it is that there is a power to shared interest and there's a power to shared experiences because i'm not only with the twitter account tapping into hey you're a sports fan uh, uh, or of a certain age but i'm tapping into your childhood a little bit and i started to realize from having different guests on my podcast and uh, interacting with my uh, followers on twitter that many of us regardless of where we grew up i grew up in kentucky and i'm talking to other people who grew up in southern california and other people who grew up in new york city and other people who grew up in texas and yet so much of it is so very similar and I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had somebody send me a direct message on Twitter or comment on something that I've posted and say, hey, I thought I was the only person who thought that. And when you, when you find that, and, and one thing that I, I will stress, I'll quote Dave Chappelle here, uh, back when his show was really popular uh, quite a few years ago now, somebody asked him uh, if he was surprised at the success of the show and he said that he was surprised at the level of success because he was really just trying to make a show that he thought was funny and that his friends thought would be funny he wasn't aiming for universal broad appeal because he felt like if you aim for that you water things down and you don't really hit the the center of the bullseye with anybody and so he did what he was going to do, and he found out that there were a lot of people that it appealed to. And so I think probably very similar to the fandoms that you guys have, for me, the, the thing that I was surprised by is just the sheer number of people who relate to what I post without me deliberately trying to pander to anything. I just posted what I wanted to post. For me, that's been the coolest thing about it. I do what I want to do. I post what I think is funny. I get the guest on my podcast that I'm interested in speaking to, and yet it resonates with so many people. And I think that speaks to the, the power of that shared fandom that is that bonds us in a really deep way. You have almost like instant brothers and sisters in a way, even though you never knew them. It's almost like you, you could have grown up together because you understand each other on a certain level. if you will follow up on this a little bit um, you have celebrity followers and it have interviewed celebrities on your podcast so how does being a fan and you, you kind of get to this in your earlier comments but sharing that common interest how does that kind of close that gap between you and celebrity 
Because I think that's an interesting thing. Like one of the first things that I saw of Super 70 Sports was, you know, a celebrity that I followed had retweeted you. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? That's crazy. Um, and I know you had like Rob Lowe on your podcast and that's a pretty big celeb. So yeah. how does that kind of come together? Initially, it shocked me. Anytime somebody, even if they were like a D-list celebrity, if somebody retweeted me, I was just like, oh my gosh, that guy was, you know, in something that I saw a long time ago and it was a, <laughs> it was a big deal. Now, talking about Glee, Bert Hummel follows me. <laughs> so I'm, I was very excited about that. I watched enough Glee to, mm -hmm. to be excited about him. But, uh, but yeah, certainly Rob Lowe, and I've had Dale Earnhardt Jr. on, and a great deal of others. If you're a sports fan of a certain age, some of you guys, I'm looking out here, and I don't necessarily see my demographic. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. If I start rattling off Dale Murphy and Dave Parker and, and guys like that, I, that may just be like crickets. But... Um, in terms of the, the celebrity aspect of it, yeah, it's, it is something that breaks down walls. And I know so many famous people, at least a little bit, through having done this, that it's still, I think the weird part for me now is that it feels normal, that I'll just text, now I'm like Mr. Big Shot, right? But I'll, but I'll text with Rob Lowe or whatever, like it's no big deal. And then like I'll think to myself later, like that's really a big freaking deal. You know, like I know a celebrity. What? I'm from middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And so uh, getting to that shared experience that you're asking about, you know, to have uh, uh, Rob Lowe, I, I, I connected with him because he followed me and he started retweeting me all the time. And so once that had gone on for a while, I thought, well, it's like the pretty girl in high school, you know, am I going to approach her and ask her to prom or whatever? I didn't actually when I was in high school because I didn't have any guts. But Rob Lowe was sort of like that from the standpoint of, well, am I going to ask this guy to be on the podcast? Is he going to shoot me down? Am I going to be devastated? Am I going to get all emo and depressed if he says no? <laughs> and so uh, I texted him and he, like a minute later, he texted me back. He's like, let's do it. And so when we finally spoke on the phone he gets on the phone immediately and he's like oh, I'm the man behind the Twitter account and it was like he felt like he knew me from following the the account and once we started talking about his childhood growing up you realize that yeah he's this famous actor and he's been on the West Wing and in all these uh, d films and whatnot but at heart he's just a kid that grew up initially in Dayton Ohio moved to California when he was 12 years old and grew up liking most of the same stuff that I did. And so once that conversation gets started and you get past the, you know, kind of the mind warp of realizing that, oh, I'm talking to this person that I've watched in movies for all these years, really, you realize that you have a lot in common and you're just two people talking about things that you can both relate to. And so you're right that in that sense, the, the wall that's between us, and that's a pretty big wall between, you know, professor here in the Chicago burbs and megastar or whatever, right? I mean, I kind of think I'm a big deal. I'm local celebrity, right? You know who I am. <laughs> but he's a real celebrity. So it, it breaks down that wall. And, and you realize that even in that case where you might think, what do I have in common with this Hollywood elite or whatever, you know? Uh, you realize actually quite a lot, actually quite a lot. Once you, once you peel back the layers, you realize that 
uh, what makes him tick. He's the same kid in some ways today that was outside playing football with his with his brothers back in Ohio. And on the other side of that celebrity question, you know, one of the things that I've noticed when I talk about the things that I'm a huge fan of is that there are people who are celebrities to me, like the most famous to me that no one else has ever heard of. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of fandom that's kind of exciting is that you sometimes get your own personal celebrities, you know, the people that you can go to conventions and meet and, you know, maybe the rest of the world doesn't recognize them, but they are everything to you. Well, I go to a lot of conventions, and um, I've been to Wizard World and C2E2. I've been to the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas a couple of times. Um, well, maybe more. <laughs> um, and the the one time I really had a great experience was I met Zachary Quinto, who is the actor who plays the new Spock on the new rebooted movies. And he actually spent some time talking to me because I just said, you know, hey, thank you for doing this. There's a lot of fans out there who are kind of poo-pooing on the new movies, but I really appreciate what you're doing. He stood up, he shook my hand, he let me take a picture with him. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> the same thing happened also. I'm also a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. And um, I presented on that um, mm -hmm. show before at different pop culture conferences. And so I met the actor who played one of the vampires. And I went up and chatted with him and said, hey, do you know about this online journal? And I wrote it on a sticky note and stuck it in front of him. And I said, it's all about Buffy. And he looked at it and he went, really? Academics are writing about Buffy? And he talked to me for 15 minutes. And he was eating orange crackers and he got orange crackers on my Star Trek shirt. And I just said, okay, wait, back up. <laughs> You're getting orange crackers on me. But he also was really nice. <laughs> so you don't know what will happen if you just actually engage them as people because they're just people. But if you actually show that you're interested in them or interested in what they're doing, um, it's kind of a fun exchange. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, for, for Star Trek fans in particular, because the show is so old, it just, just did its 50th anniversary last year, so 50, 51 years now it's been out. So many actors have played these roles now from different series, the animated series, you know, different generations, different ships. Now there's a new show out called Discovery, but no one's ever gonna watch it because they're not showing it on TV. You have to pay to watch that for CBS on all access. So it's really kind of you know shutting that fandom down in some ways. But it's not about the characters, it's about their, you know, their sort of feelings about the world. And I think that's what brings the fans together um, for that fandom. I can relate. I will say that I'll get really excited sometimes if I get a certain guest for the podcast and I tell my wife, oh, hey, honey, I just landed an interview like just today this morning I recorded an interview with Hubie Brown basketball coach does anybody know who Hubie Brown is Glenn you know who Hubie Brown is all right he's a Hall of Famer and he's a TV analyst and it was a huge deal to me he called me yesterday I was on my commute home from work and I get a phone call number I don't recognize and it's Hubie Brown he's like yeah I got a letter from you I'd written him a letter he's 84 years old so I don't know if he does email so I wrote him a letter and he was like, yeah, sorry that it took me a while to get back to you. I'd be happy to come on the podcast. And I was the guy who was driving along just like silently fist pumping like, yes, he's going to come on the podcast. And so I had him on. We taped this morning and I told my wife about it and she's very supportive, but she has no idea who Hubie Brown is. You know, you either get it or you don't. And so sometimes I get so psyched up about these things that are just completely irrelevant 
to probably you and you and you and you because Hubie Brown, whatever, right? You wouldn't get up and cross the room if I said, Hubie Brown's over there. Go take a look. Hubie, you? I don't care. Uh, but for me, oh, my gosh, it's everything. So I totally understand what you're talking about. Right. Such an example of, like, why those communities are super important. I Absolutely. Wanted to, and I wanted to pick up on uh, something that Carrie had said, too, which is just the concept of, like, actually reaching out and, and connecting with somebody. And it doesn't have to necessarily be the actual celebrity. It could just be other people within the fandom. Again, it's one thing to, like, create your Tumblr blog on whatever show it is and, you know, reblog other people's stuff. Uh, it's another thing to engage in conversation with those people. And those conversations can actually lead to things. Uh, for me, anyway, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to engage with cool conversation with people from all around the world. Uh, some of those conversations have, have led to publication opportunities for me, and some of my first articles that I've published have come out entirely because of interacting with other people and finding out about opportunities in publishing. So it's, it's really been helpful. The other thing is that I don't, with your fandoms, I mean, you don't know who all the people are who are within those fandoms. A lot of times we have, uh, I think, a negative attitude that People in fandoms are all just like 13-year-old girls, uh, and that isn't true <laughs> at all. Uh, there's great diversity in fandoms. Uh, in fact, uh, I think a lot of times people think uh, age-wise that usually it's just younger people who are within fandoms, and that isn't true at all. Uh, in the Glee fandom, it was kind of neat just interacting with people who I found out were other scholars. They worked at different institutions all around the country and the world. Uh, people who were in editing and publishing, uh, who again, like if you can connect with certain people, then there might be opportunities for you down the road. So it's a matter of actually reaching out and trying to be a part of the conversation conversation that's important and that's the fun part of it. And that transitions really nicely into my next question which is about kind of you know this idea of expertise. So in an academic setting we have these criteria for what makes an expert but in fandom that really shifts and um, that can be a positive thing, it can be a negative thing and so I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what it means to be an expert within a fan community. I oh. can, I, well, I, I just want to say this, I don't, and, and I'll turn it over to Carrie because she'll have a better response than myself, but I was asked to be on the, I was asked to be on the WGN Morning News last year, and so I show up at WGN Studios, I'm still just, it's unbelievable, you're going to have me on TV to talk about my tweets, and that's exactly what it was, and I go back, I'm in the green room, and I was just so excited, the green room is not green, by the way, okay? case you're wondering but I'm in the green room and I'm so excited about this I'm in the green room it's like it's like having a backstage pass or something it's so cool and there's a Grammy award-winning uh, performer a country musician who's back there with me and I'm shooting the bull with him like I'm somebody and I'm watching the show I'm there with my wife I'm nervous palms are sweaty I'm like Eminem before he rapped an eight mile okay <laughs> and I'm back there waiting for this thing to get started and I'm watching the show, and I don't know for sure when I'm going to be on. I'm just waiting for him to come back and get me. I don't know that much about how TV is made. I watch it, but I don't know about how it's made. And so I'm back here, and they're uh, breaking for a commercial, and the voiceover comes on. And when we come back later, pop culture expert Ricky Cobb is here. He'll be talking about the 1970s. And I turn around to my wife, and I'm like, oh, my God, am I, a, am I an expert? I don't think I'm an expert. I don't feel like an expert. I hope they don't expect 
expert <laughs> answers <laughs> from me, right? And how did I get, but I was an expert. According to the WGN, I'm an expert. And basically what qualified me as an expert is I started a Twitter account and started posting dumb, funny pictures. <laughs> so that's my answer for how you become an expert. Start a Twitter account, post dumb, funny pictures, get enough people to follow you, and apparently they think you're an expert. This is why information literacy is so important, <laughs> and you should talk to your librarians. Here we go. Oh, well, I was just going to say that a lot of fans try to say they're experts in things to impress each other mm -hmm. in some ways, and um, I've had some experiences with that. Um, in Star Trek fandoms, it's hard to be a woman in Star Trek fandom. Um, it is generally a very, very uh, male fandom. Most if you go to the conferences or conventions or any of that, the overwhelmingly um, number of men involved in it is just a huge number. So I actually went to DePaul University's uh, popular culture um, expo that they had and I did a presentation on Star Trek for them and I had a lot of men in the audience, you know, kind of quizzing me and asking me things about stuff and I was like, wait a second, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I watch it. <laughs> um, so that does happen. Um, but I think it can be a positive thing too. But I think it happens in lots of different fans, and you know, people can become experts in things by reading Twitter feeds. I don't, I don't think that's a problem. Um, but I, I think that you kind of have to be willing to really um, immerse yourself into the culture of the show to understand what the fans say. So for like when I teach Com 101 and 102, I talk a lot about audience and context. So if you read stuff that's written for fans from fans, and you're not a fan, you don't understand what they're saying. And they do that on purpose, right? That's their audience, their, it's their um, conversation that they're having, and so they're, very spe they're speaking a language that perhaps could be English, but you know, if you aren't really understanding that you know, the Borg are uh, cybernetic creatures, you have no idea what they're talking about. And that's kind of one way they do um, present themselves online. You have to be careful not to be exclusionary, I think, because it is, when you're talking shop, yep. so to speak, mm -hmm. it is easy to kind of make that conversation so dense where it may be the most fascinating thing to the people that are engaged in the conversation, but it sort of puts up a barrier to other people who maybe don't speak that language quite as well. So I find with my tweets, uh, and the nice thing about it is, is I make enough tweets that hopefully there's a little bit of something there for different people. But I'm always gratified when somebody says to me, you know, I'm 25 years old. I don't really get all the references that you make, but I still find it enjoyable. And because I, I, I like that, because then it, 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 I don't think that that necessarily weakens anything. I think it makes it a little bit better. And you get some of these folks in and maybe get the younger generation to be interested in some of these things too. And it just grows the community in that in that way. Oh, I totally agree with that. I, I think that a lot of, especially a lot of sci-fi fandoms do exclude people on purpose um, in some ways. So I actually left about six different groups I was in over last weekend because I watched the new Star Trek show and oh, I liked it because it was Star Trek and I had an, an hour on Sunday that I got to watch the show and I was fine with it. And I was reading online such hateful messages and just derogatory things and I thought, you know what? Life's too short. <laughs> I probably only have like 30 years left to live so I don't need to read this. So I just decided. This is getting dark. Yeah, I decided just, hey, go for it. You know, just 
get rid of that and just kind of just think about life and you know and enjoy it. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You don't have to be so exclusionary of other fans. So, and I wasn't the only one. Some other people that I know who teach at other colleges across the country, they were all saying the same thing. They were like, "Yeah, we left that too. We left that one too because it just got to be too irritating. So it's not worth it." So I would say, if you get in one of those situations, you can definitely unfollow. Definitely thinking about the way you know technology allows you to to kind of create your own fandom experience is is important uh, on Tumblr anyway, uh, and this is true for lots of other sites. Uh, but on Tumblr, I mean, you can follow who you want to follow, and so it wouldn't be uncommon. Uh, and this has happened in Sherlock fandom uh, when series four aired, especially the last episode. There were a lot of people, you know, burning their blogs and you know deleting everything they'd ever posted, and there was just a lot of negativity and so you know you kind of go through an unfollow spree and sort of control your dash again so that it is a happy place or a place that is interesting to you and not a place where you feel like you're being pummeled with negativity uh, so you you definitely create that experience which is good and bad I mean it's not unlike uh, our living in uh, li these little filter bubbles where we're only reading stuff that we agree with and so you have to be aware that you are controlling that particular feed and so that means you're excluding some things and including others well that happened to me when I actually went to Las Vegas this last time um, I was really a big fan of the second new Star Trek movie called Into Darkness. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is in that, so if you like Sherlock, you should just watch it for that fact. Um, but I enjoyed that film, and I thought it was great, and so I have an Into Darkness uniform. Well, I have a couple of uniforms, but I have that one in particular. And I actually made uh, a hat, and I had the whole thing, and so I decided I was going to wear that the first day I went. And so I did, even though most Star Trek fans really, really hate those movies. And I thought, well, I'm wondering what's, what am I going to walk into here. I found, oh, a whole fleet of people in Into Darkness uniforms. And guess what? We became a fan club. And we walked around together. We had pictures all day together. Um, we won the cookie contest. We did everything <laughs> together. And, you know, they were from England. They were from Australia. They were from Texas. They were from all over the place. And it was really, really fun. So sometimes it looks one way online, but then when you go, it's someplace totally different. So that's one lesson I did learn. So I just kind of don't have time for the negativity online. Just live your life. Have fun. There is a great uh, work of fan fiction, by the way, that uh, is a crossover between Into Darkness and Sherlock, and it's really quite fantastic. I'll if you're interested, email me. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It is really amazing. Um, so when you, obviously when you are online and you're in, in our you know, filter bubbles, or if you are at a convention, you know what you're getting into. You know that those fans are gonna be there. But when you are, say, you know, out at a bar or with friends and out in the world, how do you recognize other fans? Is there a way, or do you even look for other people who might, you know, in, in your other circles of life? Do you kind of keep your eye out? Are there tip-offs, you know? One of the coolest things that I have learned, one of the perks of doing this, is I can go to pretty much any city in America, and I can go to a ball game there, and I can tweet out, Super 70 Sports is here, who wants to buy him a beer? And there's very <laughs> likely somebody in the ballpark that will tweet back and buy me a beer. So I'm just in it for the beer, really. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a good setup. This is It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I got a good thing going. 
you know? I mean, I think I, some things that I notice, um, if someone's wearing a cool pin um, that I see around sometimes, kind of like a couple of times I've been to Starbucks and people will have a different nerdy pin on their Starbucks apron and I'll just say, oh, did you get that at C2E2 or whatever this year? And boom, there's a conversation. There it becomes, okay, who'd you see? Who'd you meet? Did you go to this panel? Did you do this? Um, Star Trek isn't a fandom that you see a lot anymore because the fans are old. Um, so, you know, it used to be when I was in college, when it was on television, um, the next generation was on television, and we used to watch TV, you know, like on TV, and people would gather together in one spot in the area of the university, and we would watch the episode together. And so there became sort of, here's a group of people are watching it, and so if you, if you have the shirt on, or if you have, I've got a Star Trek necklace on, if you have the symbol on, then other people kind of come and chat with you or whatever. Nowadays, I don't think it's that easy. I think that's true too. You know, I might share something um, about w what I'm into, but again, it might not be the case that someone is really that into it, even though they might watch it. Uh, so, so I think it's very hard. Uh, and in Glee fandom, anyway, we had uh, nice opportunities to actually meet with one another. Um, you know, there was a concert series in the early part of the series that they would do in the summer. And some of the actors went on to do Broadway shows, uh, or one of them became a, a, a best-selling children's book author. So if there were any opportunities to go to that Broadway show, like you would just, you know, post that you were going to be there, and anybody who was around and wanted to meet you would immediately respond back. And so you could create uh, an opportunity to hang out with those people. Uh, and I got to do that in Boston, or I got to do that in Indiana. Uh, or in California. So it's like different ways that you can interact with people. And some of those uh, big name blogs that, uh, that I eventually befriended the authors of, uh, again, like one of the women was from Ireland. And so when she came into town last fall, she was like, hey, are you around? Are you still there? And so we, I got to meet with her. And so you just have these opportunities to, to meet with people. And for the people who were more academically inclined, inclined those who were at institutions that I knew of I got to see them at conferences and we eventually you know started collaborating on writing projects and presentations and so uh, there were multiple opportunities to you know either Google Hangout with those people or actually present with them so like again you got to reach out to people and there might be really cool things that happen when you do so I think we have I have one more question for the panel and then we'll take some questions from the audience um, I just kind of want to wrap up with maybe some advice that you have. So for those of you who are out there or people who watch later, you know, if there are casual fans in the audience of whatever and they want to take it to the next level, do you have ideas, strategies for either starting your own group, finding a group, um, you know, what worked for you and what advice would you give? Or and if there was anything that, you know, was a struggle or problematic for you, you know, if you have advice about that too. Well, I would just say go somewhere if you want to go somewhere. If you want to go to a convention, go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pay your money and go. <laughs> and uh, it'll be fun. And walk around and see what you see. And the first time you go, you might just wear a nerdy T-shirt. Um, the second time you go, you might wear a cosplay dress or cosplay some other kind of outfit. Third time to go, you go, you might be in a full Transformer uniform. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> but, you, it, you know, I would just say if you just go and try it out, it's different than just watching it on television or reading about it online. I think being in a fandom, you actually kind of sometimes have to physically go somewhere. 
because it's a, a different experience than just reading a message board. Because as we know, anyone can write anything online and make you feel bad about everything or good. So might as well just go and hang out. Like going to a baseball game with Ricky sounds like a great idea <laughs> because you probably will get some free snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can be hard. I think going physically somewhere is a really a great piece of advice. If you're trying to kind of do this online and get more immersed in a fandom, it can be tricky and it can feel frustrating because you might post something on Tumblr, but nobody is going to see that. Um, so learning how to tag things is helpful. Uh, reading people and finding out who to follow is helpful. And there are lots of different experts in fandoms and lots of different ways the fandom members uh, create things for their community, whether it's through art or fic uh, or like what I do, which is more meta commentary. Um, so there are lots of different ways. And then there are the gift makers, you know, those treasured people uh, who download the episodes and create the gifts that we pass around. Uh, so there are important contributions, basically. And so you can figure out what you want to do within that fandom and find your way to contribute that. My general advice is if you have a passion and you have an interest that you want to pursue, do it. Just make a decision to do it. I've had people contact me and say, well, how did you, how did you do this? How did you get a certain guest on the podcast? How did you make that contact? How did you, how did you get somebody on the podcast and the this is a slight oversimplification in some ways probably but the short answer is, is I asked I got out there I made the contact I made the pitch and I asked and sometimes people will not respond in fact a lot of the time people won't respond you can't be discouraged by that because the next person may say yes and I'll take I'll take being ignored a dozen times to land uh, uh, I guess that I'm really excited to have on the, on the show. So you have to develop a little bit of a thick skin probably to do this, but the number one thing is just to act on it. The only regret that I have with Super 70 Sports is that I didn't start doing it five years sooner. I wish that I had done it five years sooner. I suppose you could look at the glass half empty or half full. Thank goodness I did it because it really has changed my life in a uh, very fundamental way but do it whatever your thing is don't sit around and wait for it to happen you have to go out and make it happen that's just life advice right there all right thank you so much all of this amazing panel give you a round of applause <laughs> does anyone have questions about fandom generally yes Uh, you know the uh, phrase like never meet your idols? <laughs> Do any of you have experiences of meeting someone you're a huge fan of and just being massively disappointed? Yes, I no, lover, no longer love Commander Riker because <laughs> I met the actor and he broke my heart. Um, I still kept his, I do have his autograph in my office though and I do have the picture. <laughs> Oddly enough, I met him once and he was delightful to me. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I've, ne I've never <laughs> met him. I will take your word for it. Um, okay, no. He's banned now because I'm a friend of Carrie. That's it. Sorry, Commander. Not happening. Okay, I don't even care if you beg. Um, 
that was one of my big fears, to be honest with you. I think probably that was my biggest fear is what happens if these people that I've idolized and put up on a pedestal, and I'm talking particularly about the athletes of my childhood. Rob Lowe, that just sort of happened, okay? <laughs> I didn't set out to meet Rob Lowe, but I did set out to meet a lot of these athletes, and I'm writing a book right now about baseball in the 1970s. So in addition to the podcast, I've probably done about 80 interviews just for the book that weren't for public consumption until some of the quotes show up in the book hopefully but that was my biggest fear I thought what if these people that I've looked up to and collected their baseball cards what if I have a bad experience and then it's just going to taint that for me and I don't want that to happen so to answer your question out of the probably 150 people that I've interviewed in some capacity since I started doing this there's a handful there's probably about five people that I've lost some respect for uh, in that process and that's kind of a bummer uh, it really is it's it, and you think about it some people have just kind of ruined it a little bit for me but you have to remember that for every one of those I've had probably 30 really good experiences and I've made friends and actually just friends people that I grew up pulling their baseball cards out of cereal boxes and now that's somebody that beyond the project I just consider to be a friend so that to me is so much more valuable than the occasional person that makes it a drag but I totally relate to what you're talking about Carrie and I feel for you because I I know how what a stomach punch that is to inc to have something like that, that happen. Was hard. I went all the way to Nashville to see him. For real. <laughs> I think I speak for all of us when I say, "What? What did? What did he do? Tell yeah. us a little bit." Yeah. What happened? I don't know. It was just awkward and weird, and I just can't relive it. It was just a really bad experience. Usually, when you go to these things and you walk up to the table, the celebrities on one side of the table, and you come up at the other side. You pay your money somewhere else so they don't see you paying the money even though you're paying the money to get their autograph or their photo or whatever. And I walked up. I was in a line. There were like five people there. It wasn't like it was a long line. <laughs> and um, I was just so excited. I'd never met him before, and he was my favorite. I'd watched the show since, you know, forever. And I was just like, I just wanted to get your autograph. He's like, okay. Sad. Very sad. And I, like I said, I'd had such good experiences with some other folks. Um, and right next door to him was another character that I really liked. So I went and talked to her, and she was super nice and shaking my hand and hugged me. And I was like, well, take that, breaker. <laughs> <laughs> Question up here. Well, I actually have a, I have a website, artinterviews.org. I haven't added a lot to it lately, but I interviewed a lot of celebrities, and I had a couple of really bad experiences. I interviewed Bruce Campbell, and he kept uh, telling me, well, why don't you know that it's in my book? And I just got the interview th two days before, and, and I had to get basic information to quote from. And also I interviewed Amanda Palmer of the Dresden Dolls, and Neil Gaiman's wife. Mm -hmm. She answered all my questions with one-word answers, you know, and... Uh, and then I interviewed a filmmaker who was on cocaine while I interviewed him. And he kept asking me for money Yikes. and cigarettes. I would ask him a question, and he would 
interrupt the answer to call somebody up <laughs> and you would forget the, the question. Oh man. Wow. Yeah, sometimes it's not. And he was supposed to show up later at the film center and he just didn't go. <laughs> he just blew them off. That's funny. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I feel really lucky now. It puts it puts my situation right. in perspective. I'll tell you that right now. I'll stop complaining about my bad experiences because mine were pretty tepid compared to that. All right, any final questions? All right, thank you so much for coming and listening to us talk. Thank you, panelists, for sharing your fandom, sharing what makes them special to you. Um, it's always exciting to talk about things you love, so go and find your friends, talk about the shows you like, the things you do that you like. Um, make a community. Thank you.